Welcome to Caffeine, Crime and Canines, a podcast brought to you by two girls who love their dogs, love coffee, but most importantly, love true crime. Yeah. You've given her another chance? Yeah. <laughs> she's been good though. Yeah. Last yeah, week been good. good. Yeah. <laughs> What's yeah, up with funny. you? Um, what's up with me? Nothing much at all. Just yeah, chilling really. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Being good, yep. I feel yep. like, yeah. Finally I'm getting into a bit of a routine. So <laughs> I'm happy <laughs> Only to have a few weeks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Crazy, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, other than that, I'm just trying to think what I've been doing. Like, if I've done anything fun, I actually watched the Titanic this week. Oh, did you? Yeah, I've been watching ages. And can I just tell you, it looks so fake. <laughs> like, as in, like, you know, when you like, I feel like I've seen it obviously, like, recently, but like, I don't know what it was this time around. I just couldn't stop laughing. Yeah, it's I so watched it funny. In so long. It's so good. I've watched so much TV this week. Like, really? Yeah. Like, I don't know why, I've, how I've had time, but um, like, I'm going to share them because they're kind of not really crime, but you know, I feel like our listeners would appreciate them. So, I watched this um docu series on Disney Plus called The Deep End. Oh yeah. And it's about this um lady. Her name's Teal Swan, and she's like a s- spiritual healer, right? That's what she says she is. Yeah. And the whole um like docuseries is following her because she does like these live stage events and people come up and say pretty much her followers have severe mental health issues and she says that she heals them but she's quite brutal and she says things like like in this um show this girl comes up saying you know I just don't know what my purpose of for life is like I just don't know why I'm here and her response was well why are you here insinuating like if you can't figure out why you are on the earth why are you on the earth insinuating to commit suicide yes and then the story like the story is following her because one of her followers actually committed suicide and her parents are trying to figure out whether there's grounds to sue this teal swan for like pretty much telling her to commit suicide really yeah so teal swan and her little posse hire like a private investigator to look into their whole kind of life and their business and whatever to determine whether she does convince people to kill themselves. And there's also talks of whether she's actually a cult because she has this like inner circle of people and they like live together and it's like this weird situation. What the heck? It's yeah. full on. Like it's so freaking weird. And she's just the biggest psychopath of all time. She's got issues. But it's really, really interesting. So if anyone out there would like that, definitely watch that. And I also watched that Untold, um, the girl, this My Girlfriend Doesn't Exist show. Which oh, is, my. How oh. crazy is that? Can I tell you, one, I knew about that story because of Tony because Tony, like, loves NFL. Yeah. So I felt like it sounded familiar. Like, I think he had told me about it. And then we watched it because obviously we saw it come up and he's like, this is what I was telling him about. And we watched it and I feel so sorry for, is it at Teo? Manta Teo, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I feel so sorry for him. I know. Because he's just a young kid. Yeah. And the internet was so, fr- and probably people probably have no idea what we're talking about if they haven't seen it. But, yeah, yeah. it's, um, yeah, I felt really sorry for him. He I'd still actually plays, recommend it. He still plays NFL, right? Like it hasn't ruined his career. Oh no, I'm pretty sure he went on to play, but yeah, he, I, I'm 
to tell you the truth, I fell asleep in the last like, must have been. <laughs> <laughs> Even last night, Lucky, I was so excited. They released a selling OC. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, yeah. And I was so pumped for it. And I'm not kidding. I think I fell asleep like an episode and a bit in. I've just been like out yeah. early. But anyway, I mean, so I don't remember the actual, the complete ending, but I know that, um, yeah, I think that he went on to play, but his career is just over now. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Oh, there was something else. Oh, and I started watching this other thing last night which we could cover it but I kind of found the story a little bit boring um (laughs) in America in like the 70s or the 80s this little boy called Stephen he was seven and he got abducted and then by like a pedophile and this pedophile like pretty much convinced him that his family didn't want him anymore and like he was his son now and he like sent him to school and everything and this little boy Stephen like truly believed that like this pedophile man was his dad and then when he's 14 years old he kind of realizes that he does actually have this other family and he escapes and he goes back to his normal family really yeah but he's like super messed up like he like this pedophile guy let him like drink and smoke and all this stuff so when he goes back to his regular family he like struggles to like just go back to normal life because he was pretty much let allowed to do whatever he wanted with this pedophile guy what the actual like, wait? What's that called? It's called um, the re- like true American horror story or something. And his name's Stephen Sainer. And even it gets even more crazy, right? So this Stephen guy, little Stephen boy, he's like got four other brothers and sisters. So he comes from a big family. His younger brother claims he was so messed up from like you know his parents grieving him di- disappearing. His younger brother is a serial killer what yes and this little Stephen boy dies when he's 24 years old really there's just so much shit going on it was just like oh my god I've not heard of this story at all you should have a look at it it's pretty crazy actually can I tell you because Netflix also released I killed my dad or something oh yeah I watched that oh you have yeah yeah because you know what I haven't watched it but Sword and Scale released an episode before they dropped the, like before Netflix dropped their, like whatever it is, their episode or their series or whatever it is. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I listened to Sword and Scale and I was like, oh, I want to watch the um, Netflix documentary on this. But yeah, I haven't gotten around to it yet. Yeah. Yeah. It was really good. Interesting. Another crazy. There's so many freaks out there. Like, I know, honestly. right? <laughs> yeah. There's been really good TV lately. I've been really yeah. into it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's pretty much all I've done this week. Yeah, no, I'm a bit of the same, just TV. Um, I've been outside yesterday. I spent the majority oh. of the day outside because it was such a nice day. Yeah, I went to that. Um, I'm not sure if there was this thing at um Emporium mm. called Neighborhood Space, something Neighborhood Space or something. It's like a space <laughs> exhibition. <laughs> oh, really? No, yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, so we went to that. It was very disappointing. Was it? It was like, so I didn't realise, but Maya is not in the Emporium anymore on level four. What do you mean? What's there? Oh, so it's just it's, empty, it's empty. So they've used the empty space to put up this pop-up museum, which is just like, it's just a bit crap, bit crap yeah. Uh, so a bit disappointed with that, but. What a letdown. Mm. Anyway, but yeah, yesterday was a beautiful day and I spent it in the Emporium. <laughs> <laughs> Hmm. Well, hopefully there's lots more to come. So, yeah, you didn't waste it. Don't worry. Yes. Um, But, yeah, do you want to get into this week's case? 
fudge. I so do. (laughs) All right, let's go. All right. In a big legal story we've been following, a parole board has denied notorious murderer and serial rapist Paul Bernardo's bid for freedom. Bernardo is serving a life sentence for kidnapping, rape, and first-degree murder of two teen girls, Leslie Mahaffey and Kristen French. Of course, in the early 1990s, a story that made international headlines. He was designated a designated a dangerous offender and has been eligible for parole since February. He's now 54 years old. He appeared at a parole hearing today. His lawyer argued that he has improved himself during 25 years in prison. Bernardo told the board that he cries every day over the crimes that he committed and promised that he would not reoffend. The board is now required to review Paul Bernardo's case every two years moving forward. But again, the parole board denying parole to Paul Bernardo. We've got CTV legal analyst Ed Prucci here in studio for some immediate reaction to this. Surprise, not surprised? No, not right. surprised. Uh, you know, obviously, I, I think uh, a lot of Canadians are gasping a, a big sigh of relief right now. Uh, this is what was anybody would have expected to happen. I'm sure this is what Bernardo expected to happen. I'm sure this is what Bernardo's lawyer expected to happen. Uh, but the process had to happen. And so, you know, there are people who will complain about the process. Um, but this is what it is. So the, the mountain that he had to climb was just so high that I, I'm not remotely surprised that this is where we ended up. So today we are talking about the crimes and the victims of a person in Canada. He was known as the Scarborough Rapist and then he was also known as the Schoolgirl Killer. So we're going to go through his victims and then we'll go into like his life. But did you know about this before we started looking into the episode? You know what's funny that I don't, I didn't know the story in depth, but I sort of knew a bit about it. And can I take, can you remind me at the end to tell you how I knew a little bit about yes. this killer? Because, um, yeah, it's you, I feel like you're gonna be like, oh, what the heck? I don't know if you know this. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I, there's a, um, another docuseries on, I think it's on Binge. It's called Ken and Barbie Killers. And, this is where I kind of I, – I was literally watching it. I'm like, this is so interesting. We have to do it on the podcast. So I watched that and obviously researched it. But um, it's super interesting. Isn't it? It's Can cool. I tell you as well, you know, because I watched it off Binge this week, but I had seen it and I only got Binge two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So I had seen it before. So it must have been on either Stan or um, – Paramount. It was on. It was de- definitely on something else. But now it's only on binge. Yeah. So I feel like if anyone's like, oh, I've, I've seen that. It's li- it, like I looked everywhere. And I was like, what the heck? Like I, I swear I've seen this. But anyway, yeah. again, I had fallen asleep. I think I told you during the week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely interesting. So if you like this episode, definitely go and watch it. But um, so and we haven't covered anything from Canada before. So I think this is really good. Or serial. I feel like this is our sort of first sort of serial killer. Killer. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Yeah. So we'll go into the first victim. So um, a girl, her name was Leslie Mahaffey. She was born on July the 5th in 1976. She was the oldest of two children to her parents, Debbie and Dan Mahaffey, and her younger brother's name was Ryan. She, Leslie was a student at M.M. Robinson High School in Burlington, Ontario in Canada. Though the Mahaffeys were a close family, as 
what happens with most teenagers. At the age of 14, she started to get quite rebellious and she spent a lot of time away from the family home, which I can totally relate to. I feel like when you hit 14, you just like think you're an adult. I was so naughty. Now I think back, I actually cringe at how naughty I was at 14. Yeah. So what she's going through is completely normal. Um, Although she was going through this kind of rebellious period, she would always still manage to phone home. Her parents did normally know where she was and she had a curfew and everything, um, and, but she usually kept in touch with her little brother, Ryan. Apparently they were really, really close. So shortly before Leslie's abduction, a few friends from her school had been killed in a car accident. And the evening prior to her abduction, so this was June the 14th, 1991, she, there was like a wake at the funeral home for, these, for one of the boys that had been killed in this car accident. And f- following the wake, they had like a bit of an informal get-together with a few people from her school. And because of this, she missed her Friday night curfew, which I'm pretty sure was at midnight. Like that's pretty late curfew for a 14-year-old. Yeah, mine was like 10. Yeah. <laughs> so she missed this curfew. And when she's returned home, I think it was about 1.32 a.m., the door to her family home was locked, which was abnormal. I think her mum would usually at least leave the door open for it. It's not like she would, like, completely lock her out and she wasn't allowed to come home or anything like that. But I'm pretty it, sure they did it on purpose, though, didn't they? I think so. I've, to yeah, teach her I a read, lesson. Yeah, yeah. breaks my heart yeah. that they did it on purpose. Oh. So she's got home and the front door was locked. So she walked to a nearby payphone and she rang a friend asking if she could spend the night at their house because she couldn't get into her house. This friend said she couldn't. So Leslie walked back home and I think her plan was to just literally just sit on the doorstep and wait until the morning. But a few blocks from her house when she's walking home, she was abducted by a man who was kind of looking in this area, looking in backyards for a victim. So it was completely opportunistic that Leslie was abducted. So the following day, so June the 15th, 1991, um, the friend that Leslie had called, you know, asking if she could stay over, phoned her family home just to check on her and explained to her parents that she had actually called last night looking for a place to stay because she couldn't get into the house. So this friend was just checking in to make sure she made her way home. And this, obviously, her mum, you know, realised she wasn't at home and this prompted her mum to begin looking for her. Eventually she became quite concerned and contacted the police to report her as missing. So a few weeks after her disappearance in late June, there was a few guys that were canoeing um, on Lake Gibson near St. Catharines in Ontario um, and they found the dismembered body of a young girl and it had been cut up into pieces and encased in concrete. And the way that they um, discovered this was Leslie was by her dental records. She had braces, so it was pretty easy to confirm that it was Leslie Mahaffey. So she'd been murdered. That is, and do you know, like, even I think it was in that documentary that we watched, the police man's like, I was wrong. Like, they just assumed that she had run away. Cause she, yeah, because she was a rebel. Yeah. So we'll move into the second victim now. So um, Kristen French was born on May the 10th, 1976. So she was, this, you know, roughly the same age as Leslie. Her parents were Doug and Donna French and she had one brother named Darren. 
Kristen was a student at the Holy Cross Catholic Secondary School in St. Catharines, Ontario. Just for a bit of context, Burlington, Ontario and St. Catharines, I think they're like an hour apart and I think there's like a, like Gibson um, separates them. So like um, Burlington's on one side of the lake and St. Catharines is on the other side, just for a bit of context. So Kristen was a member of the ice skating team and a member of the girls' rowing team. Um, she was a really good student and a good kid. Um, so on April the 16th, 1992, 10 months after Leslie Mahaffey's abduction and murder, Kristen was walking home from school when she was approached by a car. And this has been um, witnessed to be a beige Camaro. And this had a couple inside. Um, and this was confirmed by multiple witnesses. It was a male and a female. And I remember you saying in an episode like ages ago about how if you were approached by a female or a couple, like as if you couldn't. You'd let your guard down. Yeah, exactly. You totally would let your guard down. And especially if they looked normal. Normal, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So this couple was asking for directions. They had a map out. They were, you know, asking Kristen how to get, I don't know where, but they were asking for directions. While Kristen was helping the woman with the directions, the man had gotten out of the car, attacked her from behind and forced her into the car at knife point. And this whole abduction and attack was seen by multiple people. It was like during the day. Yeah, during the day. daylight. Or daylight, yeah. So on April the 30th, a few weeks after her abduction, the, the similarity between these two cases is just uncanny, hey. Like two weeks after she gets found, you know, they both have a younger brother. Like it's just crazy. Yes. So on April the 30th, um, a few weeks after her abduction, Kristen's body was found in like a wooden dumping ground, like the woods in St. Catharines. She was naked. She was in fetal position. She had been sexually assaulted and her hair had been like shorn off. That's weird. Like that's such a weird thing. Why would you cut her hair? Yeah. It's just crazy. So the police were a little unsure whether they were connected just because their bodies were found in different ways, but it didn't take long for them to kind of think that they were connected and it was likely that this was the doing of the Scarborough Rapist. So the Scarborough Rapist was a young man committing sexual assaults on young girls and when I say young girls I mean like between 15 and 20, um, like teenagers, um, in Scarborough, on Ontario. And these assaults began in 1987. The Scarborough Rapist had committed 11 rapes between May 1987 and July 1990, and this was likely more. There was probably likely some that weren't reported. You know what? From my understanding as well, this is a really, like, family-orientated, safe Mm neighbourhood. Like, this sort of thing just didn't happen. Do you know what I mean? In that area. Yeah. It just... Gives me the creeps. And can I just tell you, one of the victims, like one of the um, people that he raped, one of the girls, her name was Karina. How crazy oh is that? Oh, my God. I know. Oh. It gave me chills because my name's not that common. So when I was, um, yeah, when I had read that one of them's name was Karina, I was like, what the oh. heck? And he usually abducted them from buses, like that once I'd get off the bus. Um, so he was like repeating kind of the same behavior, but a composite sketch of this man was done by his 11th victim. She did really well to remember what he looked like. Um, and the composite that she managed to come up with, he was a young guy, like in his twenties, blonde, blue eyed, and 
you know, was like fairly attractive. Like he was a good looking guy. I was going to say, and he, apparently he was dressed quite nicely as well. Yeah, yeah. So when he approached her, she was just like completely let her guard down and then like all of a sudden he whips out a knife. Like it's just yeah. not something you expect. Crazy. So we're going to fast forward a few years to January 1993. A young woman by the name of Carla Hamolka presented to a local hospital after receiving a beating with a flashlight by her husband. And if you see photos of this, it is full on. She has these humongous purple black eyes. Yeah, it's Yeah, they're called raccoon eyes. It's actually, oh. It just looks like a horrendous beating that she received. Her husband, his name was Paul Bernardo, and after this beating she had left him. So she'd left her house and gone to the hospital and she was, planning on never going, never going back to him. You know, though, because she she's just an interesting character in herself mm-hmm. and her family, you know, she went to work like that. Yeah, all the time. She'd yes. always have beatings on her or, or like, yeah. Yeah, and her, so she went to work with these eyes and then her, they called her, fa- her parents and said, um, I think you should come and, like, just yeah. check on your daughter. Yeah. And, and they did and they're like, like, what the heck? You Like, I cannot believe you. If you see this photo that she even left the house looking like this. Yeah, it's full on. So after speaking to the police about this assault, Carla then tells the police that her husband not only physically and mentally assaulted her throughout their marriage and when they started dating, but he was also responsible for the abductions and the death of Leslie Mahaffey and Kristen French. So Freaking pol- crazy. Police are just like, whoa like obviously they've been looking for this murderer for you know 12 to 18 months by this point so they just think jackpot Jackpot. we've got it like this is what we needed so Carla goes into detail of these abductions she details how Leslie was kept in their house for 24 hours and she was being raped and assaulted multiple times before she was murdered and she details how Kristen was kept for three days in their house being raped and assaulted multiple times. Can I tell you, though, I think Carla is a lot smarter than a lot of people. No, oh. Actually, I feel like I was going to say give her credit for but everyone, like, everyone hates her, obviously. But with the questioning, you know that she was wearing, like, a Mickey Mouse watch that belonged to the second victim. I'm pretty oh. sure it belonged. I know, right? I'm pretty sure it belonged to Leslie and her parents had give, gifted it to her when they went to Disneyland, right? So when she's obviously like talking about these, like whatever, in the interview room with um, regarding these rapes, like talking about the rapes, they ask her about her watch and that's when she comes clean. So I've got a feeling she would never have said anything, have confessed if she didn't already think that the police were on their trail. Yeah, it actually it was said somewhere that she has a really high IQ. Like she's yes. a very intelligent woman. Yes. So I think she's just picked up the vibe and is like, hang on a sec, like mm. they know, do you know what I mean, this watch. And you know what else she said which really pissed me off? Like when they asked her about this watch, she's like, oh, it's my, I think she had said it was, it's my sister's and if you take it, like she's going to be upset or something along those lines. Like mm. that, Like she's just, yeah. So during these this interview she also tells police the times at which Leslie and Kristen were in the house, they had people over, like there was her family were in the house when they were kept because they were kept in the basement, the girls. that Yeah, there was multiple visitors to their home while they were there. Um, Carl- so risky. Oh, 
it's just brazen. Like that. Yeah. When I think of that, I think of the word brazen. Yeah. So and even sorry, can I just tell you one other thing? There's this other like in that documentary, her mom like her mom wanted to go into the basement to get potatoes, and they're like, no, no, we'll just go and get them. Like, yeah. Can you imagine? Like they're just like, ah, oh, yeah. It's crazy, full on. yeah. Because my mum wouldn't even ask; she'd just go down there and get them. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So they, yeah, I just—it's it's just crazy. So Carla mentions to the police how Paul also admitted to her that he was a Scarborough rapist shortly after they'd begun dating. So they'd begun dating in 1987, which was roughly when the rape started, and he had told her and been upfront with her about that really early on, and she continued to date him. Um, and she also told police that Paul had mentioned to her multiple times that he dreamt of having a sex slave and she was okay with this and kept dating him. And he, he told his friends as well. Like he wasn't like keeping this quiet. Like he's like his dream is to have like, do you know what I mean, sex slaves. Yeah, full on. So at this stage police feel like they have hit the jackpot. They were, Like I said, they were looking for this guy for a while and with Carla's testimony they do have enough to kind of charge and put Paul Bernardo away. Um, so just going back a few years, so when the Scarborough police released this sketch of the rapist, t- like hundreds of tips came in, but there were multiple tips given to police about the similarity between the sketch and Paul Bernardo. So his name had come up when this sketch was released. And at the time, Paul was brought in for questioning because they did have multiple tips about him. He was super cooperative with the police. He left a DNA sample. Like he was just, you know, really, really helpful. And it made the police think, well, oh, this can't be the guy. Like he is just so cooperative with us, like as if you would be willing to give a DNA sample if you were the guy, right? Exactly. And not only that, but they said to him, like, do you know how you can? He's like, I feel like I look like he had said, like, I look a bit like that sketch. Like he laughed it off. Yeah. So he really, like, got along with the detectives. He was really, yeah. Because, um, he, like you said, he was well-dressed. Like, they just did not suspect him whatsoever. And he's like, you know, like, I'm, I'm about to get married. I think he had actually said, like, I'm like I'm engaged. I'm going to move. Like, me and my wife are moving. Like, mm-hmm. he was, and not only that, but he had a good job. Like, he was an accountant. And I think he worked for Price Waterhouse Cooper, is it? I'm pretty yeah. sure that's where he worked. Huge like, firm, yeah. Yeah, so he was very, like, it, from the outside, like, looking do you know what I mean he looked like he had everything together yeah so like I mentioned he left a DNA sample however back in the 90s DNA testing was fairly new and in the this area of Canada there was only one scientist that was doing these tests right so Paul's sample sat there untested for two years they had so many tips come in about this rapist so many people were giving DNA samples um, so there was just like a lot for this one scientist to work through. So it sat there for years untested. Freaking uh So Carla appeared to the police as a battered wife who had been abused for years and years and she was willing to testify against her husband. So she was going to go to court, testify against him. She even says in the interviews, like, we've got to put this fucker away, right? <clears throat> She also mentions that she was the woman in the car assisting with the abduction of Kristen and that Paul Bernardo forced her to take part in the abduction and assaults of these girls. So she kind of claims like he abused her for so long that she was just submissive to him and she did whatever he said and he forced her to take part in these crimes. And like she had no other like 
like she, like she didn't have any other choice. Like she felt like, do you know what I mean? Like she had to go along with it. Otherwise then her life, otherwise, do you know what I mean, would be in danger. Exactly. So we might talk about them as a couple now. So Carla and Paul had met at a pet food convention in <laughs> 1987. Carla worked. Now this is where it gets a bit blurry. Some things say she worked like at a vet clinic. Others say she worked at like a pet store. Uh, but either or, animal related. Yeah, and she wanted to be a vet. Yeah, so. she wor- She went to this pet food convention while she was in high school. She was 17 at the time, so quite young. That is young. Yeah, so Carla was 17 and Paul was 23 at the time they met. My question is why was he at a pet food convention? I know. <laughs> Well, you know, I don't think he was at the convention. He was at the bar. in Because it was in a hotel. In the hotel. Yeah. And exa- and apparently, like, they had snuck off, like, her and the other young girl had their own room and then they had snuck off down to the bar and they were in their pyjamas. <laughs> yeah. And he went up to them. Apparently, it, like, elect- it was like anyone, that everyone that was there when they met, they said that it was, like, electric. Like, yeah. you could feel, do you know what I mean? Their like chemistry. It was- yeah, exactly. Yeah. So... They met the first time. They actually had sex the first time they met. And apparently there was other people in the room. Really? Yeah, yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, And they quickly begun dating. Um, And Carla constantly talked to to her friends about how she was dating this older guy and how he was really good looking and it was all, like, very exciting. Um, And as we mentioned, like, Paul disclosed to Carla really early on that he was a Scarborough rapist. So and she you know, knew. Yes. And you know, though, originally she told police that he told her on their honeymoon and then she's like, there's no way out. But then, for, like, obviously, like, later on down the track, that's impossible because, like you said, she was taking part in before they even got married. She was, this is so freaking bad, but she was, like, watching him rape people. Yeah. Yeah. And you know that there was a girl that he raped in like a um in a car, not a car park, like in a you know like a building car park unit thing, and she's like, I swear, there was a blonde woman there watching, and the police said like no, like they actually said like no, like it must be. Do you know what I mean? Like obviously she's a victim, must have just been her imagination. But now look at this, like it yeah. was a freaking couple the whole time, crazy. It's crazy. So. Um, so in 1989, Carla and Paul got engaged. So they've been dating for a few years. And it was reported that Carla's family loved Paul. Like he just seemed like this well put together guy in a good job. Um, and they moved in with Carla's parents, I assume to save or whatever. But they um, moved from, he was living in like Burlington, Scarborough area. And they moved to St. Catharines where Carla's family lived. They moved into the family home with Carla's parents and Carla had two sisters. And this kind of movement aligns with the Scarborough rapist moving location. So he originally was committing the assaults in this Scarborough area and then assaults started to happen in St. Catharines. And they didn't connect this, so police, or maybe because it was like 80s, 90s, they just didn't, their databases didn't match up or something, but they had no idea. And I think they had hundreds and hundreds of tips of people. And I think because he was, just didn't seem like he was responsible, I think they just didn't watch him that closely. Just let it go, yeah. So Christmas of 1990, um, Carla's parents had said that their youngest daughter, Tammy, who was 15 at the time, she could have like her first drink of alcohol this Christmas. And after the parents went to bed, Carla and Paul and Tammy were kind of still up and 
they made Tammy a drink, like a cocktail type of thing, which she really liked. So she had another, which I don't think she was meant to do. She was only meant to have the one, but she liked this drink that they made her. So she had two. In the early hours of 24th of December, Tammy had fallen unconscious and she'd vomited and like choked on her vomit and had stopped breathing. An ambulance was called, but Tammy was later pronounced dead at hospital. So she died, right? This tragic, tragic accident that had happened. And one thing that I can't understand is have you seen the burns to her face, Lockie? Yeah, like carpet burns almost. Yes. Yes. And the they had said that they that it happened because they dragged her from the carpet trying to revive her. Yeah. So there was there were quite obvious burns on her face. Yeah. 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 So in January 1990, a month after Tammy's death, Paul abducts another girl and rapes her. So he's still committing these rapes as the rapist. But the messed up thing is that he brings this girl back to the family home, Carla's family home, and rapes her in Carla's bedroom. Just, (laughs) I know. So Carla and Paul then moved into their first home together in St. Catharines. It was like a few... Um, blocks back from the lake like it was this beautiful home Um, and then a few months after they'd moved into this house was when the murder of Leslie Mahaffey had taken place so it didn't take them long to have their own space that they started ramping up their attacks yeah so in June 1991 this is only six months after her sister's death Carla and Paul got married and there was talk like the parents were like saying to Carla, like, are you sure you want to get married so close to Tammy's death? And she kind of just told them to get over it. Yes. And she wrote, you know, she wrote one of her friends a letter and she's like, oh, like my parents are being so annoying. Like, do you know what I mean? They, they don't want me to have a big wedding because Tammy died. Like, yeah. And she's like, what? yeah, full on, hey? Really full on. Now, this is where it gets super messed up. They got married, I think it was like June the 29th. I can't remember the date specifically. They got married the same day that the canoers found the remains of Leslie Mahaffey. That just like, I don't know, I just feel like the universe works in such crazy ways and this sort of shows it. You know what I, like, what are the chances of this? Yeah. So while, so when Carla had got these beatings and gone to the police, so this is, you know, she's getting interviewed. In this statement, she also says to police that Paul wanted to have sex with her sister, Tammy. So remember, he had this thing for young girls and she says to police that he forced her to drug her sister so he could rape her. And what she did was she took, drugs made for animals from where she worked and used that in the drink to obviously drug Tammy. But she says that she had it on a cloth and she held it kind of close to Tammy's face just to make her like woozy. Like to knock her out sort of mm-hmm. like in case she woke up because she says like she didn't want Tammy to like remember or like, do you know what I mean, like live through what was happening. So mm-hmm. she tries to play it like this is like. That she was doing something good for her. Yeah. Mm, messed up. So she also says to the police that Paul was obsessed with young girls and virgins. And she also said that she would often dress in Tammy's clothes after her death to try and satisfy Paul. So she, I think she was trying to 
say to police, like, you know, I was trying to get him to stop. So I would often like dress as a young girl just to try and like keep it amongst ourselves. Yeah. And not only that, but so Paul was fuming because obviously like when they met, when, when he met Carla, she wasn't a virgin. Mm -hmm. So he'd constantly be on her back. Like you weren't a virgin. Like you owe me a virgin sort of thing. That's, that was like the premise of what he was saying, like you weren't a virgin, so you've got to go and get me one if you yeah. want me to stay with you sort of thing. Yeah. So bombshell testimony that Carla mentions is, mentions to police that Car- that she says that all of these assaults were recorded and there were tapes of them. All right. So police are like, what the hell? Like obviously we've got this amazing testimony from her to put this guy away, but we're going to have video evidence of it. And this is when videos were not popular. Like, no. no. There was no crimes fully, like, do you know what I mean, committed or, like, like taped, you know what I mean? Like, it was very, very rare you'd even get something on tape. Yeah. Let so, alone, like, this whole thing that's happening. Yeah. So, obviously, police like, all right, this is it. This is enough. This is what we need. And they finally arrest Paul Bernardo in February 1993. And Carla Homolka is the star witness against her husband, She's going to testify against him. Um, So with her saying that everything was taped, a search warrant is then granted to search their home to find these tapes. Carla apparently didn't know where they were, but she knew they were in the house. And she knew, sorry, can I just say, she knew they were in the house because she started getting, I'm quite sure when the police must have questioned, I feel like they pulled in Paul for questioning or something happened that spooked the couple. Mm -hmm. And she suggested to Paul, like, we need to hide these tapes so that, do you know what I mean? Like in case they come with a search warrant, they're not going to find anything at our house. Like that's how smart she was. Yeah. She was like on top of everything. Like they were keeping track of new, like do you know, news reports and new evidence coming up, all these sorts of stuff. And I've got a feeling it could have even been around the time that, um, do you know what I mean? Like he was interviewed as um, the Scarsborough rapist or whatever it is. But, yeah, she literally is the one who suggested hiding the tapes. Yeah. So after a 71-day search of their home, police could not find these tapes. But Paul Bernardo at this time was in custody and he had told his lawyer at the time, I think this guy's name was like someone Murray. I can't remember his name. <laughs> <laughs> so he had told his lawyer exactly where the tapes were. So after the police had finished their search, this lawyer went in. He had his law clerk with him. She gets interviewed on the documentary. It's so sad. Um, And he goes into the bathroom and he puts his hand in the roof and he grabs the tapes. So Paul had told him exactly where they were and he had them. You're like in a light fitting. Yeah. He, the, the messed up thing that this lawyer did is he keeps them from police. He pretends he doesn't have them. He, you know. He just hides them pretty much. But is this because he thinks that he's going to put the, like when Carla gets on the stand to testify against Paul, he's going to bring them out? Is that what he's thinking? Like I can't. Yeah, I don't know. because Yeah, I'm not sure if that was what his thinking was or if he just thought this is too much evidence against my client. I'm just going to pretend they don't exist. Mm. But it's also reported that he made his law clerk watch them and take notes like to help with the case. Um, and the, the this law clerk, she talks in the documentary about it and she just says it's mortifying. horrendous. Yeah. yeah. So the state then wants a, obviously for Carla's testimony, they're going to give her a plea agreement 
And I think at this point Carla understands that she has committed a crime but her defence is that she was forced to do it. So she will give them the testimony but she wants something in return for this. Um, And what I guess the plea agreement comes up with is like a reduced sentence. So her sentence is like 12 years total instead of obviously a life in prison. So she'd obviously take that. I think it's like five years for Leslie, five years for Kristen and two years for Tammy. And I think she had the opportunity to be out on parole in four. Yeah. So she obviously thinks this is a lot better than what would happen, so I'll take it type of thing, and the whole plea agreement was finalised. So just before Paul Bernardo's trial, his lawyer, who hid this tapes, resigns and he hands the whole case over to a new lawyer. This new lawyer's name, his name was John Rosen, and he gives him everything, the whole file, including tapes, right? And this new lawyer, John, you know, says to Paul, I can't have these, like I've got to give them to the police. So the police watch these tapes and are absolutely mortified. The tapes reveal that Carla Hamolka, she was not a battered wife. She was not in like a severely abusive relationship. She wasn't submissive to him. She was the mastermind behind all of these abductions and murders. The tapes show her willingly taking part in the sexual assaults and abuse towards the, both of the girls and what Carla failed to mention to police in her original testimony and that was revealed on the tapes was that Carla actually lured a friend from her work home, drugged her and left her in their home for Paul to rape, calling it her wedding present for him. It's so effed up. And her friend had no idea. No idea. She was a young girl. When she woke up, she thought she had like a hangover. Yeah. She had never drunk before. Never. And Paul didn't know she was bringing this girl home for him. He just came home and there was a girl there. And she's like, hey, happy wedding. Can I just tell you something? Like uh, just a few other things. Like she's actually crazy. Mm -hmm. Like she, I don't know if you know this, you know, she used to leave the blinds of Tammy's bedroom like window open so then Paul could like, you know what, to her while she was getting changed. Yeah. And then she'd watch him do that. Yeah. Like there's something wrong with it. Like there's a screw loose. Yeah, it's fucked. Absolutely messed up. So So after watching these tapes, police realise they have made a deal with the devil. They they the plea agreement is finalised at this point. They can't go back. They can't convict her on anything. Like they're stuck. Um, It's also revealed during the trial as well that we, as we mentioned, Carla drugged her sister. Um, and in her testimony, she says, oh, you know, I held the cloth away from her face. In the tapes, she's fully suffocating her and drugging her. And, uh, Lockie, she took part in the rape as well. I yeah. can't even say it. Of I her can't. sister. Yeah. She and, was in, like, she did stuff as well. And she says to Paul it was her Christmas present to, oh. to him. And can I just tell you, there's, there's, have you heard of those fire fire pit confessions or fire pit tapes have you heard of this no it's like these tapes right <clears throat> and that again they're just filming because they've literally document their whole relationship which is really unusual for that time but they're sitting by like the fireplace and they're like saying some i'm not even like you can look up 
the transcript online, but honestly, do it at your own, like, best. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is freaking sickening. Um, <clears throat> but just like an overview, like, they're saying some really sick shit, but she, like, goes to Tammy's room, like he had said, dresses in her clothes and is pretending to be Tammy. This is after she's died. Yeah. And this is all on tape. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I feel like if you've got, I, I, I personally, I wouldn't suggest it, but, yeah, I know there are some curious minds out there just <laughs> freaking sick. So Paul Bernardo's trial begins and he pleads not guilty to the charges of murder, which may sound crazy, but his defence is that, you know, he admits that he was a Scarborough rapist. He admits that he sexually assaulted Leslie, Kristen and Tammy, but he says he did not take part in, nor did he agree to actually murdering them, that that was all Carla's doing. Right, so that's why he's, you know, pleading not guilty. And but- this is all. This is not on tape. This is the only stuff that isn't on tape is the actual murders. Yes. So no one. It's just like the, Carla's word against Paul. Exactly. Yeah. But because Carla had taken her plea deal, she was never on trial. Like she never had to sit in front of a jury. That Paul was the only one on trial. Um. So you know he was kind of just in the spotlight, and. While she was testifying against Paul in court, Carla is quite aggressive towards kind of anyone who's asking her questions. And one of the jurors that was on, like, in this trial, she just says that Carla's behaviour was just aggravating. Like, you could see on the stand she was not an abused wife. Like, she was just, she would get so defensive and aggressive with everyone. But unfortunately, like the juror says, unfortunately she wasn't on trial. Like, as much as we hated her, we were putting Paul away. Um, so but what do you think? I'm, I'm just curious before we go into like the sentencing and stuff. Mm. What Do you think that if these two never met each other, this, what would happen? Yeah, like what, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, I think it's obvious that Paul would continue to rape. Yeah. I don't know about Carla though. I, could, I don't know if this was like a perfect storm. I see. I feel like she. I. I don't know why. Like she. What she has done is freaking like horrific, mm-hmm. and like obviously, like during, like she did not get what she deserved. But I don't know if, like you said, it was a perfect storm. Like I, I feel like it was something in him that made her like crazy. Like do yeah. you know what I mean? I mean, it's reported that when she was a teenager, she was a real mean girl. Yeah, and bossy, controlling. Yeah. So maybe it was just there deep down in her personality, but Paul brought it out of her. I don't know. And, you know, like even just going, looking back at both their home lives, like Paul had a pretty effed up upbringing. Uh Uh-huh. Should we talk about it? Yeah, let's talk about it. So Paul seemed like from the outside was in a kind of normal family. He had a younger sister. His parents were married. And then I think it was when he was a teenager, he finds out that his dad isn't his dad, that his mum had an affair and he was the, you know, the result of that affair. And that he also finds out that his, it's his stepdad now, I suppose, is molesting his little sister. (sighs) (laughs) Like like, that is a recipe for disaster. He just had no chance of a normal life. No, and even like when when this when this happens, like his mum, she like moves to the basement. Yeah, she like fully withdraws from life. Yes, and just lives in the basement, like puts on all this weight, 
and he jokes that like they call her the thing. <laughs> like really sad, but like like oh, it, like that's what I mean. Like so, his upbringing, I feel like you you can sort of see how he did. Do you know what I mean? Like, Turn out the way he did. Exactly. But at the same time, Carl said, everyone talks about how Carla had such a great upbringing and things like that, but there's weird stuff going on that I feel like a lot of people don't talk about and it's not spoken about in a lot of the stuff that I had watched. Mm-hmm. But things like um, so her dad, like I don't know if he had an affair or he was like madly in love with like another woman mm-hmm. and I think it was Carla's mum's friend. So Carla's mum friend, instead of like, I don't know, breaking it off with her husband or whatever, she decides to instead get the other woman to like – come over to have a threesome like she thinks that's gonna fix the situation oh how random is that and this is honestly this killed me but like i don't know just i don't know if this goes with just i don't know shows her sort of family upbringing but you know when tammy died so her parents i said this is one of um carla's mum's friends has said that like she went with them to pick out like a casket so she went with her friend and obviously the husband pick out the casket and then the two said that they were going to go have a little rest but instead so this is the day after tammy died instead they had sex and they told like she told her friend about it like this is after her daughter died the day after like i feel like this sort of stuff like it just shows that it's not a stable household no you know what yeah. i mean yeah so i mean it doesn't say it, it, obviously it's not as bad as what happened with paul but there's something going on in there that's just i don't know yeah if that's contributed to what's happened do you know what i mean or what carla's done yeah yeah so Paul was found guilty on all charges and he is currently serving a life sentence. Carla, however, she was did her 12-year sentence. She was released from prison in 2005. Since leaving prison, she has married. I think she married like the brother of a lawyer yes. or something. Messed so he up. knows everything. He knows like, obviously everything. Yeah. So she married this guy and they've had three kids. She's using a different name. So she still lives in Canada. She's going by a different name, but a lot of people – know who she is and she moves around a lot because of this there's heaps of videos on youtube and stuff of her like dropping her kids off at school and people just like oh like i don't even know what the word is like heckling her almost like yeah as she drops her kids off from school and when the other parents of the because her kids are moving schools as well when the parents figure out who she is they pretty much get the kids kicked out of school. So she's constantly moving around. She can't live a normal life. So she shouldn't. But Exactly. Um, but those poor kids. Yeah. Like, why wow. would you yeah, why would you bring kids into the world that have to live knowing like they're going to get bullied and you know. But apparently yeah. her parents, like Carla's parents are on her side. They they think that she was abused and she was forced to do this and they, sh- they are still part of her life. You know what? Like, there's. I do think she was abused because if you look at that photo, like that's oh. really effed up, right? Yeah. But to what ex? I don't know to what extent. Like, I just, I, I don't know. Like, yeah. there's something I do believe there's something psychologically wrong with her. Like, there has mm-hmm. to be. Yeah. There actually has to be. And she did get together with him when he was young, and he obviously he had already he was already raping girls before they even met. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in saying that, like, I don't think she's a victim. Like she obviously had just as much 
part in what happened. And my biggest thing is she did, like, she was left alone with these girls. So at the end of the day, she could have done something, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean, to keep them alive and she didn't. Yeah. And, again, Paul was never murdering no. girls. And a lot of people think that it was Carla because she was so jealous. Yeah, and they also talk about as well, like we mentioned, he gave his DNA sample. The parents of Kristen and Leslie, I think they have um, taken this to court, but if they had tested that sample back when he gave it, he would have been found years before as the rapist and put away and these deaths would never have happened. Yes, and do you know that there's this chick, right, and she swore she was getting stalked. Mm-hmm. So at one stage, right, she's like, so she must have reported it to police and they must have said, all right, if you like, if you come across him again or if this happens again, let us know. So then she, she sees her stalker again and she writes down the rego and everything mm-hmm. and she gives it to police and police are just like, oh, thanks. I don't think they actually look into it. And if they actually looked into it at that time, that was when one of the girls were being kept in the actual basement <sighs> of the house. So imagine they just went there to check or like search the house. They would like at least one of them would have still been alive. It's yeah. just crazy. Yeah, it's horrible. How much they dropped the ball, you know? Um, I guess one satisfying piece of information that come from this was that that original lawyer that hid the tapes he was actually charged with obstruction of justice and possession of child pornography for not handing them over so he was um held to account for what he did so as much as like you know paul's in jail which he should be and it's just it's not great that carla's out but at least he also got some punishment for what he did yeah because if if it like if he had actually released those tapes, then it, Carla wouldn't have gotten the deal she did get. Like, yeah, exactly. And sorry, just going back quickly on Carla because I've just like got so many oh. thoughts about her. Like I literally, because when you look at her, you're just like, how? Like yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I know it sounds really bad, but I'm like, how the heck have you done this? You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And I th- honestly think that she must have been obsessed with Paul. And she was responsible for the killings because she was jealous. Do you know what I mean? So, like, there's one of the things, one of the times she had said, like, I think it was Leslie's, um, her eye, um, her eye thing, like they had wrapped something around her eyes so she couldn't see them, had slipped. And when Paul went back to look at the videos, her, the thing covering her eyes never slipped. So, do you know what I mean? Like, things like that just makes me think that she was really, like, Mm-hmm. jealous possessive he made her a bit crazy but yeah, yeah. i just um i want to tell you quickly about how i'd heard of oh this. yes yeah yeah so when i originally like when you told me about it, i was like yeah whatever like i looked it up and i was like she looks so familiar and it's because like you know that lucas magnata that oh, yeah. rico yeah he yeah. had said like online that he was in a relationship with her Oh, yeah. Do you remember? That's how I knew about it. That's when I first heard of the case. Because I'm like, who is this chick? And I looked her up and I was like, what the heck? That's how I first heard of this oh, case. that's true. I completely forgot about that. Yeah. How freaking nuts is that? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, oh I was dying to tell you that because obviously, yeah, I knew yeah. you know what I was talking about. Wow. That is crazy. Crazy freaking case. But, yeah, that is the case of the Ken and Barbie killers as they're most famously known. Um we obviously we try and name the victims in the episodes because we want to obviously shed light on them, but I think it's a bit hard with this one. So 
um, the schoolgirl killer is what they're known as, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so if you have a case you want us to cover, send us a message on Instagram. Our Instagram handle is at Caffeine Crime and Canines. And until next week. Until next week. Bye. Bye.